Hello, and welcome to Alert, radio for people who want to change the world. My name is Michael Welch. Ashley Titterton is off this week. On this episode of Alert, we will speak with filmmaker John Grayson on the cultural boycott against Israeli occupation of Palestine. And we'll also be hearing from reporter Mary Agnes Welch, the president of the Canadian Association of Journalists, on the bail conditions set on recently re-arrested G20 summit protester and organizer Alex Hundert and the concerns that body has about these bail conditions. But first, here are the alert headlines for the week of November 4th, 2010. And now, here are your alert headlines for the week of November 4th, 2010. The Wall Street Journal reports the Obama administration is considering sending elite hunter-killer teams into Yemen to assassinate militants believed to be connected to al-Qaeda. One plan being considered would see U.S. Special Forces units from the Joint Special Operations Command being sent into Yemen under CIA control, which would give the U.S. greater leeway to strike without the explicit blessing of the Yemeni government. The White House is considering adding armed CIA drones to the arsenal against militants in Yemen. Canada has banned all air cargo originating from Yemen in the wake of last week's discovery of explosive material on flights bound for the United States. The ban was not instituted based on intelligence specific to Canada, said Transport Minister Chuck Strahl. Strahl told reporters it is indeed an interim measure to keep people safe while the government decides what further steps might be necessary. A U.S. military panel in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, says Canadian-born Omar Khadr should serve 40 years in prison for war crimes, a symbolic decision because a pretrial plea deal caps his sentence at eight years. On hearing the sentence, Khadr's Canadian lawyer, Dennis Edney, said justice was not served in this case, which he said was the first prosecution of a juvenile for war crimes in six decades. Canada will implement a plea deal between the U.S. government and Omar Khadr to allow the convicted war criminal to return to Canada after serving one year at Guantanamo Bay, Foreign Affairs Minister Lawrence Cannon says. Cannon came under fire from opposition MPs during question period when he insisted Canada was not involved in plea negotiations, despite a U.S. State Department memorandum that reveals the Conservative government was aware of the Toronto-born Cotter's plea agreement. Canadians are split on the Harper government's decision announced Monday to honour an agreement allowing confessed killer Omar Cotter to return to Canada, according to results of a recent poll. The survey found that 49% of the population did not want the Toronto-born Cotter to serve any part of his sentence in Canada. A federal appeals court has ordered the U.S. military's ban on openly gay troops to remain in place indefinitely while a legal battle is fought over the policy. The court had last month issued a temporary injunction blocking a judge's ruling that overturned the 17-year-old's don't-ask-don't-tell law. The government argues that it should stay in place until the military has devised a new policy. 
The ruling means troops can still be discharged for being openly gay. Flood-ravaged Pakistan is facing a worsening humanitarian crisis as international aid organizations warn that relief funds are running out. The BBC reported that the United Nations supply of emergency food aid for Pakistanis hit by the summer flooding would last only until the start of December. UN humanitarian coordinator Martin Mogwanja said up to 6 million people currently rely on that aid every month, while a total of 7 million will not have adequate shelter or quilts, blankets, and warm clothing as the winter looms. The UN estimates that 10 million Pakistanis are still in need of immediate food assistance. In India, as many as 100 right-wing protesters from the BJP party stormed the home of the writer Arundhati Roy on Sunday to condemn her calls for Kashmir independence. The protesters broke onto the grounds of her home and vandalized property. Roy, who was not home at the time, condemned the protesters as well as the local media, which filmed the attack on her home. Indian politicians from the BJP party have been calling on authorities to arrest Arundhati Roy on sedition charges for stating that Kashmir is not an integral part of India. Cuban authorities have published a new set of regulations and taxes to be imposed on self-employed workers and small businesses as part of an overhaul of the country's state-run economy. International media reported that many potential entrepreneurs formed long queues to buy the official government gazette in which the rules were published. The gazette listed 178 activities for which the authorities will grant self-employment licenses such as taxi driver, electrician, and hairdresser. The new rules will also allow many self-employed business people to hire workers. Dilma Rousseff a former leftist guerrilla turned civil servant, was this past Sunday elected Brazil's first female head of state. She was declared the winner in a statement by the Supreme Electoral Court, which said that with 99% of the votes counted, she had 55.6% of the ballot. She has been hoisted to victory by the enormous popularity of the outgoing president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who picked Rousseff his former chief of staff, as a successor. And those are your alert headlines coming up around the left in seven days. And now for Around the Left in Seven Days, Alert Radio's weekly roundup of events around the country that we wish to bring to your attention. Gentrification impacts communities the world over. In city after city, real estate and rising land values displace existing communities only to be replaced by high-end condos, unaffordable stores, and poor-bashing organizations. Right to the City is a two-day conference in Vancouver that will open a space for discussion of the role of police and courts in facilitating gentrification, analyze the relationship between art, philanthropy, and developers, and highlight Woodward's and the Olympic Village as sites of struggle. The conference will be held at Vivo Media Arts Center on November 5th and 6th. Admission is by donation. For more information, go to vancouver.mediacoop.ca. 
picket the opening of the second annual Halifax International Security Forum at the Westin Hotel, Hollis and South Street in Halifax on November 6th. This year's Security Forum is particularly important as it takes place less than two weeks prior and as a lead-up to the NATO Summit of Heads of State. Last year's rally against this war conference was a big success. Besides voicing strong opposition to NATO, the war in Afghanistan, and the presence in our city of these militarists, people were very pleased with the renaming of Cornwallis Genocide Park as the Halifax Peace and Freedom Park. Meet at the Weston Hotel at 1 o'clock p.m. John Elmer is a photographer and journalist who has lived in and covered the West Bank and Gaza since 2003. Join Elmer on November 8th in Toronto for a discussion and retrospective of his work to mark the 10th anniversary of the Second Intifada. The discussion begins at 7 o'clock p.m. and is held at Beit Zatun. Admission is by donation. We're told that women have achieved equality and that we should embrace a new sexualized form of liberation, but is this empowering? The University of Toronto International Socialists are hosting a forum to discuss the rise of this new sexism and how to fight women's liberation today. Pam Johnson will also be speaking. The forum is held at the Bahen Centre in Toronto on November 9th at 7 o'clock p.m. Canada-Palestine Network presents Dance Down the Wall 6, an evening of bad self-determination and booty liberation for a free Palestine. This year's Dance Down the Wall is held at the Low Pub in Winnipeg on November 10th. DJs include Co-op Honeycutt and Mama Cutsworth. Tickets are $10 and are only available at the door. Proceeds from this event will be used to support of humanitarian aid relief efforts in the Gaza Strip and elsewhere in Palestine. The event begins at 10 o'clock p.m. In April 2010, in Cochabamba, Bolivia, the government of Bolivia convened a conference of social movements to confront the challenge of global warming. More than 30,000 participants outlined a blueprint to chart a path towards climate justice and to defend the rights of Mother Earth. The Toronto Bolivia Solidarity Group will be hosting a teach-in on the lessons from Bolivia in, on November 13th. The teach-in will outline the Cochabamba Declaration, discuss how we can implement the Cochabamba Agenda in Canada, and will strategize how environmental injustice in our communities can be resisted. Admission is $10 or pay what you can. The teach-in begins at 10 o'clock a.m. and will be held at Sydney Smith Hall in Toronto. On Saturday, November 13th, come to Canadian Dimensions Gala Award Night at the Fort Garry Hotel in Winnipeg. Awards will be announced and presented to six activists, one each from the artist community, environmentalist, labor, student, the indigenous community, and the anti-poverty community. A Lifetime Activist Award will be presented to Emily and Nick Turnett. For more information, Call the CD office at 957-1519. And that has been Around the Left in Seven Days. We're now speaking with John Grayson, 
Uh, John Grayson is one of Canada's most notable filmmakers and video artists. Uh, he participated in a recent boycott, divestment, and sanctions conference in Montreal the weekend of the 22nd to the 24th. So, uh, uh, tell us a little bit, uh, John. Uh, you were among the uh, leaders of a boycott campaign against Israeli films at last year's Toronto International Film Festival. Do you want to remind us a little bit about uh, the, the success uh, and impact of that boycott? Sure. Um, TIFF, uh, Toronto International Film Festival, uh, was, had decided they were going to present a spotlight on Tel Aviv, a city-to-city spotlight. And this was in the wake of, the, of course, the Gaza War, really the Gaza Massacre. And a whole bunch of us in the Toronto community really felt this was pretty eyebrow-raising and questionable to begin with. And this, these were people, some of whom were activists around um, Israel-Palestine politics and Palestine solidarity, and some who were really just concerned to see that the TIF taking um, this sort of seemingly highly politicized stand. Um, there, when when we learned that it was um, being claimed by the Israeli consul as part of their brand Israel campaign, a, prop, a, a sort of uh, state Israeli state propaganda campaign trying to make it change the face of Israel in the world, um, we we became much more concerned. We met with TIFF. Their answers actually made things worse, not better. Um, and we decided a protest was called for. Now, it's, it's really important to remember that the, our TIFF declaration wasn't a protest against the films or the filmmakers. We didn't disrupt screenings. We said that the filmmakers are welcome in Toronto. It's the spotlight itself that's the problem. And so our, our our focus was very precisely on the bureaucratic spotlight uh, promoted by um, the Israeli consul. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the the protest itself. Uh, I mean, what? Uh, wh- how, how did you measure the the impact of the protest in terms of the uh, the, the policies? For well, the long term, there was an article uh, last month in uh, I believe the Jerusalem Post, and they were identifying. Uh, TIF is one example of one of two examples of the greatest threat facing the state of Israel today. So that that cultural boycott, uh, the the idea that cultural boycott is perceived as being so powerful within uh, that level of of public discourse was pretty pretty extraordinary. It was a uh, to put things in perspective. It was a very ad hoc uh, grassroots effort. A bunch of us with email, uh, you know, a budget of ten dollars and email addresses, um, mobilized this declaration, a joint declaration. I pulled my short film out of the festival, um, and but there, uh, it, it this, I think, spotlight hit a raw nerve, and so within ten days we had two thousand signatures, including Danny Glover and Jane Fonda and John Berger and. A, a really extraordinary um, international outcry against this TIFF spotlight. And in response, um, the nerve was clearly touched when the pro-Israel lobby, led by Robert Lantos, among others, started to buy full-page ads in Variety and the National Post, um, spending several hundred thousand dollars trying to call us blacklisters, which, of course, was preposterous because you know we weren't blacklisting anything. We were protesting. 
Now, maybe could you give us, a, like, for that sense of perspective, uh, the, the scope of uh, Israel's uh, artistic and cultural product? I mean, put it in, in, on the world stage. Uh, how, how prominent is Israel? Well, um, I, I, there's a, a whole uh, new generation of young filmmakers making films about the Lebanon War, for instance. We had Waltz with Bashir nominated for an Oscar. We had Lebanon nominated for an Oscar, I believe. Um, obviously, Israeli cinema is very accomplished. It's playing on a world stage. Someone like Eaton Fox, who made The Bubble, um, these, are, these are filmmakers with certainly liberal credentials, and you can certainly point to a critique of the state of Israel within their films. The problem, as I said, isn't the films or the filmmakers. The problem is the way they can be used by an aggressive Israeli you know, foreign ministry to try and hide things like the Flotilla Massacre or the Gaza Massacre. And so trying to distract us with cinematic images of soldiers as as um, many, as film critic Dorit Nauman has noted, um, you know, films about soldiers who shoot and cry. The sensitive soldier um, it has become an icon of Israeli cinema. And we think this is something problematic and something that, that's got to be spoken out against. I wonder, though, you know, you, you're saying that it's it's not uh, uh, targeting the, the filmmakers themselves, but I, I wonder... Is there not any problem with making that distinction and the idea that, uh, you know, that, that some people will come at you and, and say that essentially you're, you're ultimately, uh, regardless of what your intentions might be, you're, you are in effect uh, restricting the freedom of expression of uh, these uh, people who are, uh, are, are not necessarily uh, supporters of the regime? Uh, do you, no, do you not I see a problem... Uh, uh, no, I hear what you're saying. I think it's just the opposite. Um, I'll give you a more recent example. Two months ago, I was um, asked to be in a film festival in Portugal, in Lisbon. And they were receiving money. We learned after, after I said yes and my two films were accepted, um, we learned they were accepting money from the Israeli consul uh, there. And so the, well, I protested and said, you know, turn the money back. Why don't you get out there and raise the money yourself? It's not even that much. It's, I think it was something like 400 euros to bring in an Israeli filmmaker. And our line, and I think it's really a, a clear example, was, you know, let's raise the money, bring in the Israeli filmmaker, but don't get in bed with the Israeli state. This is a, you know, this is a moment where the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement is growing. It's, it's gaining ground. It's really making a difference in terms of the potential to bring peace to the region. Um, let's all, you know, join in and lend a hand. The festival, uh, much debate ensued. The, defest- the festival decided to keep the 400 euros, so I had to pull my films out. Um, it would have been pretty hypocritical to pull out of TIFF, but not pull out of this, this uh, gay festival in Lisbon. Indeed. Um, could you maybe point to other examples of, of where these sorts of uh, cultural uh, boycotts uh, have been effective? Well, the, the um, best example that everyone will remember is from the 80s um, when uh, little Stevie Van Sant from Bruce Springsteen's band launched the Don't, We're Not Going to Play Sun City boycott. 
and he mobilized, he used all that Bruce Springsteen muscle to mobilize 40 musicians to collectively sing a We Are the World type song, Ain't Gonna Play Sun City, Aretha Franklin wailing away on the background vocals. It was really an extraordinary moment. Um, and it put the cultural boycott of South Africa on a world stage in a way, especially for the music industry, so that after that, no musician could, could play um, South Africa without thinking through the issues clearly and taking a political stand. And I think the same thing happened this summer when Elvis Costello and the Pixies, in reaction to the Gaza, the, pardon me, the Flotilla Massacre, uh, pulled out of their Israeli concerts. I don't think any musician in the world now can play Israel without thinking through the issues of boycott. Hmm. Although it seems as if the, the campaign to convince uh, Leonard Cohen and Margaret Atwood uh, not to attend events in Israel it failed. Um, maybe there are other, maybe other big name artists you could mention that, uh, uh, besides uh, Mr. Costello, that uh, absolutely. I think um, really exciting news. Mike Lee two weeks ago, Mike Lee, the great uh, English filmmaker. Um, pulled out of attending a festival in Israel saying he couldn't stomach being used by, again, the Israeli state for that sort of propaganda purpose. And he, he said very clearly, I feel really bad for the, the wonderful colleagues in Israel who I'm letting down by doing this, but this is larger than feelings and it's larger than personal relationships. This is, it, it's time for people to start taking a stand. He, of course, follows Ken Loach, the other um, English filmmaker who's likewise taken a very principled uh, personal position. Um, two personal heroes of mine, The Yes Men, uh, their, the wonderful, their wonderful film, The Yes Men Fix the World, was scheduled for Jerusalem Film Festival a year and a half ago. They pulled out of that. So there's, there's real momentum, and I think things, you know, we see more leadership in terms of music community than maybe um, the film community, but I think things are growing. And uh, but finally, John, uh, as uh, the year 2010 is winding down, uh, could you maybe mention what uh, might be coming up next in the culture boycott campaign? Um, the um, thing I'm most excited about right now is the new film I'm making. I think my life's sort of been taken over the past two years by boycott activism and um, Israel-Palestine politics. I was there last summer, uh, back in July, um, shooting documentary interviews and some opera scenes for a new um, film I'm working on about cultural boycott. And so that's, that's the thing that's sort of keeping me up at night in the best way possible. Well, we'll have to see how that progresses uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. So I want to thank you very much, John Grayson, for joining us on Alert. And thank you. And uh, we've been speaking with John Grayson, uh, one of Canada's most notable filmmakers and video artists on the state of the cultural boycott against Israel on their occupation in Palestine. I'm joined on the line by Mary Agnes Welch. Uh, she is a, uh, a president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. So, Mary Agnes Welch, uh, the Canadian Association of Journalists put out a, a statement not too long ago with regard to the uh, 
the bail conditions surrounding uh, the uh, G20 uh, summit protest uh, uh, alleged ringleader, uh, Alex Hundert. Um, do you think you could uh, maybe relay the, the concerns that your body has about that uh, rearrest? Yeah, uh, the bail uh, sort of, and this is kind of his second round of bail conditions, as I understand it, um, after he was rearrested. And these are even, the first batch were really strict. These are even more unusually strict in that he's essentially not allowed, not only is he not allowed to go to a demonstration, whatever the definition of that is, he's also not allowed to speak to the media. Um, and and uh, I, as a reporter, I've never encountered that um, that kind of a, of a bail condition before. Um, there's publication bans and that kind of thing sometimes uh, in cases, but not a blanket ban um, that prohibits somebody from essentially exercising their right of uh, free speech. Hmm. And so, I mean, that's our main concern is he is, you know, he's, he's unable to speak to any, any reporter or, or I don't even think he can like Twitter, or, uh, you know, or, or uh, post things on the internet. There's, it's just such an intense condition and such an intense infringement of, of his right of free speech. We think it, it, it just tipped the pendulum way too far in that direction. Well, what could possibly have been so uh, severe about the, the G20 protests that would uh, seemingly justify such an unwarranted restriction on people's ability to speak? Well, I think, I mean, t- to be fair, I think um, Mr. Hundert was, you know, perhaps more in the group of, of activists who did advocate violence. And one of the things that he uh, is alleged to have done is, is sort of intimidating or, or threatening um, uh, crown attorneys and officers of the court and that kind of thing. And that is completely unproven in court. We don't know exactly, I haven't yet figured out exactly what the details of that are, um, but 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 this I mean he's not uh, you know necessarily a you know a CTV reporter or something like that. some of the other people that were caught up some of the like hundreds of people that were caught up in the G20 protests and never charged and you know released after a few days in jail. Um, so uh, only having said that though, this does seem to be no matter what he's done uh, just a very unusual infringement on his his rights. I mean you know Paul Bernardo can speak to the media if he wants to. Um, there's, there's a much more serious um, alleged or convicted criminals out there who, who have not had their rights violated in that way. And so I just, for us, our, our main fear is that it'll, it'll set a precedent that from now on, you know, justices of the peace or, or current attorneys will ask for it or, or courts will start granting these kinds of restrictions as part of the normal course of, of um, bail conditions. And that is that would, in our mind, just be, a, frankly, a travesty. Mm. Is there any, uh, you know, apprehensions that uh, this, uh, I mean, whether or not it's the case in this instance that in, in the future this, uh, these sorts of uh, restrictions could be used to, to protect uh, the abuse of state power? Well, I mean, I suppose that ultimately is the concern. I think for us, the, the the more real one is that despite what you know what uh, Mr. Hundert is alleged to have done and uh, these are all allegations at this point he still has the right to express his political views um, you don't have to agree with them but he has that right um, and you know uh, and, and these these are political views that are very much in the forefront of people's minds 
um, especially after what I think most Canadians would consider sort of the debacle of the G20. Um, and to, res- to restrict that, sort of the peaceful expression of your, of your views at, you know, a university panel discussion or speaking to a Toronto Star reporter or, you know, or, or tweeting, um, that's, that is our more immediate concern, um, that, that the, the simple fundamental expression of your political views will, will be, um, you know, sort of completely denied to him. Hmm. So, um, this idea that somebody's uh, essentially their their charter rights to freedom of speech being restricted, um, what could the possible? Uh, I mean, is there another scenario that you could envisage uh, in which this uh, th- this sort of bail condition uh, could be used? Maybe something that because I mean, this Mister Hundred. I mean, maybe there are elements of the uh, the the country that that maybe don't show that much sympathy for maybe is there another sort of scenario where uh, we could witness uh, this sort of abuse of a person's uh, this restriction of a person's civil rights that uh, you know the the slippery slope so to speak yeah i think i mean i, I think the obvious one is um sort of alleged uh, terror suspects um and the funny thing is i don't think we saw when the Toronto 18, 17, all the, uh, the terror suspects in uh, Toronto, when they were um, in court, there were extremely strict publication bans in place. But I don't think, if I recall, that they were ever um, prohibited from speaking to the media if they want to. I mean, of course, none of them did because their lawyers told them not to, but I don't think any of them did. Um, but, but, but that would be sort of the, you know, a, a similar kind of a situation where the government might seek to um, to stop, uh, you know, uh, alleged terrorists from speaking to the media or speaking out in order to sort of really limit their their reach and limit their ability to organize. I mean, the, the real reason that this was done to Mr. Hundred, I think, is that, is that he, they don't want him out there, you know, whipping up any more um, sort of, you know, G20 fervor. Um, speaking at events, or, or you know, sort of, um, uh, just sort of whipping up that, you know, th- those elements, um, and uh, that again, that for us just goes way too far. Now, with this uh, this precedent being set, is there a potential liability for journalists who may seek to to get the story of somebody into these sorts of situations? I don't think I don't think the journalist would get in trouble. I think uh, Alex would get in trouble, mm-hmm. um, and. And so, uh, and I think it's even gone. So I, I heard an interview, I think, with his with his brother on on CBC uh, a little while ago. And I think he, his brother was even being super careful in his choosing his words in order to not, um, you know, uh, get Alex in trouble at all. Um, and so, so I think generally the liability is on him, not on the journalist. It's not like a publication ban where the onus is all on the on the, the reporter to, to mm-hmm. not violate the ban. Now, um, could you uh, maybe indicate, is there anything more that to the, the, the Canadian Association of Journalists is doing to to try to challenge this uh, this ruling, if, if you will? Actually, as I was uh, just sort of refreshing my memory a bit on this, I realized that a lawyer, a lawyer who acts for us on occasion um, in source protection um, uh, cases and Supreme Court, you know, access to information, that kind of thing, um, is is uh, Mr. Hundert's uh, lawyer, and so and it and I I'm not sure if there's any kind of media 
coalition that is asking for intervener status in the appeal of the bail conditions. Um, and I'm assuming there is an appeal. Come to think of it, I'm not even sure that there is. But traditionally what we would do is we would put our names to an intervener application. Um, and so that you actually asked me a really good question. It's something we, sh- we ought to do, and, and I hope we will if, if there's an opportunity to do it. Okay, and, and finally, I mean, the G20 summit, uh, as you indicated, I mean, it was a pre- pretty big debacle. Um, and uh, there was, uh, among the, the many questionable uh, actions taken, uh, journalists were harassed uh, and uh, in at least one case uh, assaulted in the, uh, over the course of them doing their job. I mean, do you have any, the CAJ have any particular comments and concerns with, related to the treatment of journalists at the G20 summit? Yeah, and we, and we issued a sort of a fairly tersely worded statement statement, and, and I did interviews just like this one after the G20. Um, and the interesting thing about the G20 was that, um, it, it, first of all, it made people really think about what the definition of journalist is. Um, you know, are sort of alternative bloggers, do they count, or, they, or should they be afforded the same uh, sort of protection as mainstream journalists? Um, and that's, to be honest, that's something the CIJ is even struggling with. But even if you discount that question entirely, completely mainstream Journalists, you know, photographers in the National Post, um, uh, Lisa Laflamme from CTV, uh, and her uh, her camera guy. I mean, it, like super mainstream um, soccer mom style journalists were uh, were detained, uh, were roughed up, uh, were uh, barred from uh, sort of they didn't have as much freedom of movement as they thought they would and ought to have had. Um, and and then the alternative media, who I think in many cases do what we would call real journalism, credible, independent journalism, um, were certainly uh, mistreated, I think, um, and had their rights trampled upon. And I think that, uh, you know, that plus the fact that, like, basically almost nobody, I think there's 300 out of 1,100 people that were arrested, were ever actually charged. Um, it, it, I think it really ought to make us question how we handle these kinds of events. Well, Mary Agnes Welch, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Alert, and we'll keep tabs and uh, see how this story develops over the past the next few weeks. Thanks. Thank you very much. This is Mitch Podolik. This is Music is the Weapon, and today's theme is like the theme pretty much every week, anti-capitalism. And today I found this wonderful recording by this wonderful group who don't muss around. They're really good. You know, they come right out and they say the words that I think. So here is a great song called Gone, 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 and the performers are Red Shadow. When a crisis rocks the system, you can see them come to patch up the holes now. And they're always pushing policies that work out right for ruling class goals now. And if panic comes to Wall Street, you can hear them stress the need for controls now. But they'll be gone, gone, gone when the people take their power away. We're working out of Washington, they're drawing up a federal plan now. Then it's off to Santa Monica to spend some time consulting for Rand now. They tried to dream up ways to hide the rising cost of bombing Vietnam now But they'll be gone, gone, gone when the people take their power away
they spend their time just shooting the bull now. They give a speech on hunger, but they do it while their bellies are full now. And they say it's getting better, but it looks like they're just pulling the wool now. And they'll be gone, gone, gone when the workers take their power away. Red Shadow with Gone, Gone, Gone. Doesn't it make your little heart, your little commie hearts just go flutter hearing a song like that? Sure made me happy. One of the things about songwriters is that they're always looking for sort of themes to to base songs around. So it's a real art form to do that, to make, to make that songs. And one of the real kind of pivotal things that political writers very often pick as a theme is time, how time works how things change or don't change. Here's a really good song by Chuck Brodsky, Dangerous Times. There's terror in our midst Could be one of us you in the line, but beside you on the bus, wearing camouflage, might be wearing suits. These terrorists among us might be wearing army boots. These are dangerous times, and people are afraid. No looking back at history to see how enemies were made. Some dictators are bad, some dictators are good. That's a hard one to explain. But I wish somebody would Let us all agree Let us not dissent Let us not ask questions Such as where our freedoms went We'll just fly, fly the flag Sing God bless America Question people's patriotism Who don't join in the hysteria These are dangerous times So we lose our rights Well, these terrorists among us Do the dirty work at night There isn't time to read The contents of the bills The Congress votes for anyway Up there on the hill And there's terror in our midst Where's the good disguise? Fools a lot of people They seem like such regular guys Rewriting all the rules You don't have any say In fact, they even count on you To look the other way And there's terror in our midst All over the TV But it's what's behind the words It scares the daylights out of me Twisting up the facts Stretching up the truth The terrorists among us They manipulate the news So let us all agree let us not dissent 
Let us not ask questions such as where our freedoms went. We're gonna build them schools. We're gonna build them banks. We're gonna build them pipelines from their fields to our tanks. Now my heart goes out to Johnny, sent off into war. They convince him it's for freedom that he's laid his life down for. My thoughts are often with him, and I pray he comes home safe. And I pray for every innocent laid early in the grave. And who was in your house while you were in home? Look through your computer and through everything you own. What do they want to know? Which websites do you visit? What have you learned about them? They want to know. Come on, what is it? These are dangerous times. You might be overheard using one of whatever they've defined as being a dangerous word. But if they don't like your songs, what if they don't like your books? What if? Fit the profile based solely on your looks, and they listen to us talk. They read the things we write, and they watch us all on cameras. They know where you were last night. They know where you stopped for gas. Which magazines you bought? Back in 1984, this was all just crazy talk. So let us all agree. Let us not dissent. Let us not ask questions such as where our freedoms went. Let's have a look inside those pockets. Let's have a look inside that purse. Let's have a look inside that glove box. There's some place maybe worse. So let us all agree. Let us not dissent. Let us not ask questions such as where our freedoms went. It's snowing in the valley. Ice chokes the river's mouth, but the air is still and silent in the mountains to the south. And here, the fire in the cook stove drives the winter's chill away, while the silent southern sentries pass the watchful hours till day. And from the mountains of Virginia to the hills of Salvador, the mothers and the fathers send their children off to war. And the hand that drove the plow is on the trigger in the night. Killing other sons and daughters, fighting someone else's fight. No mas, no more. Shout the hills of Salvador. Echo the mountains of Virginia. We cry out, no mas, no more. No mas, no more. Shout the hills of Salvador. Compañeros, compañeros, we cry out, no mas, no more. As the government of Poland looks to Moscow for its schemes, so the junta turns to Washington to work behind the scenes. While the white hand of the death squads, the rumble of the tanks, keeps the coffee on our tables and the money in our banks. No mas, 
the old more shout the hills of Salvador Echo the mountains of Virginia we cry out the mass no more No mass the old more shout the hills of Salvador Companeros companeros we cry out No mass no more Shall turn to plowshares till the land is theirs to plow, till the name is on the ballot that rots in the prison now. And the weapons of the victory shall be schools and food and jobs, and a song from every mountaintop is Pazibadadad. No mas, no more, shout the hills of Salvador. In Guatemala, Nicaragua, we cry out, no mas, no more. No mas, no more, shout the hills of Salvador. Compañeros, compañeros, we cry out, no mas, no more. Pretoria, Santiago, Beirut, San Salvador, our silence buys the battles, let us cry, no mas, no more. No mas, no more. If they shoot me down, to shut me down Ooh, take my place If they bring an army into this town Ooh, take my place If they rule this land and silence me when I'm laid out with injury When my words won't matter anymore Who will take my place? Revolution, you are not my Flowers painted on these stones Ooh, take my place When the silence of oppression dies Overheard beyond the battle cries Are the words of final compromise
songwriter Dan Prichette's amazing song, Who Will Take My Place. Before that, Sign of the Time, sung by John McCutcheon, and before that, Dangerous Times with Chuck Brodsky. Next, we're going to hear a couple of really good anti-war songs, and I always like anti-war songs because I'm really against war, aren't you? And here is Anita Franco and Pete Seeger with Bring Them Home. You love this land of the free Bring them home, bring them home Bring all troops back from overseas Bring them home, home. bring them home. home It will make the general said I know Bring them home, bring them home They want to tangle with the foe Bring them home, bring them home their weaponry but bring them home bring them home here is their big fallacy bring them home bring them home a foe is hunger and ignorance bring them home bring them home you can't beat that with bombs and guns bring them home bring them home I may be right I may be wrong Bring them home Bring them home But I got a right to sing this song Bring them home Bring them home Isn't that the wonderful thing about America? You got a right to be wrong Where else in the world can we do it like we can do it here? And back in 1965 when I first wrote this song It was If You Love Your Uncle Sam Support our boys in Vietnam, bring them home. And if you all sing that chorus with me, we can raise the ceiling a little higher. Hooray for the United States of America and the right to speak your mind. There's one thing I must confess, bring them home, bring them home. I'm not really a pacifist, bring them home. Bring them home If an army invaded this land of mine Bring them home Bring them home 
you'd find me out on the firing line. Bring them home, bring them home. Show those generals a fallacy. Bring them home, bring them home. They don't have the right weaponry. Bring them home, bring them home. For defense, you need common sense. Bring them home, bring them home. They don't have the right armaments. Bring them home, bring them home. The world needs teachers, books, and schools. Bring them home, bring them home. And learning a few universal rules. Bring them home, bring them home. So now we don't want to fight for oil. Bring them home, bring them home. Underneath some foreign soil. Bring them home, bring them home. So if you love this land of the free, bring them home, bring them home. Bring all troops back from overseas. Bring them home, bring them home. In a world 
without war And live to bring peace in our day And we're singing for peace We're singing solidarity Singing for courage Singing down wall Sing without fear And before all authority Singing That was Teresa Healy from Ottawa singing Song for Peace. And before that, Annie DeFranco and Pete Seeger and a whole bunch of other people singing Bring Them Home. And gee, we should bring them home as soon as possible. And that's it for this week, folks. See you next week. Keep on picking. Keep on. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for being with us. We'll be here next week at this time. If you would like to send us a comment, write to alert at canadiandimension.com. To hear this show again, or to hear any of our past shows, go to the Canadian Dimension website at canadiandimension.com and select Alert. The show is also podcast at rabble.ca. The executive producer of Alert is Canadian Dimension publisher Saigonic. Technical producer is Tommy Allen, assisted by Selena Serbinuk. Alert headlines by Chris Webb. Around the Left in Seven Days was prepared by Ben Wood, Music is the Weapon by Mitch Podolik. I'm Michael Welch. Alert Radio is a production of Canadian Dimension magazine.